Welcome to the Cyber Guide, a security-focused podcast brought to you by Compass Cybersecurity. We hope you enjoy this episode and welcome you to reach out to us with any questions. Hello and welcome to the Cyber Guide. This is Chris Yates, lead technician at uh, Compass Cyber, and I have the honor in introducing our CEO, Bob Olson. How are we doing today, Bob? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, 2016... Uh, in cybersecurity, do you have um, do you have like a phrase you might want to sum that up in, or um, yeah, it, it 2016 from a cyber perspective was was really just an interesting and um, you know a very challenging for a lot of organizations here. Um, lots of things that went on. We saw an increase in the sophistication and frequency of ransomware, uh, Internet of Things, which is a, a term most people probably never heard of before 2016 um, kind of exploded onto the scene. Uh, phishing and spear phishing continue to be um, you know, just, just really significant uh, from a, an attack vector perspective. And then we also saw a renewed focus on insiders. Um, so just a really interesting year from a, uh, you know, a cyber, th- cyber security threat trend um, overall. Recorded in Baltimore's historic Inner Harbor, home of the Ravens and the Orioles, land of crabs and natty bow. This is the Cyber Guide. And now, back to your host, our own Chris Yates. Bob, you mentioned ransomware. Now, I think uh, a majority, uh, if not all companies right now, kind of know what that means. Well, their files are encrypted. They're not going to be able to access them. But why is it increasing? And is there anything that uh, companies can do to protect themselves? Uh, good question. So I think really why it's increasing is because, quite frankly, the, the hackers are having a lot of success with it. And so they are choosing to, to continue invest in developing the tools that they're using. Um, and so we're incre- in seeing an increase in not only the frequency, but also the sophistication and the complexity of the, the actual you know, ransomware uh, that they're using. It's also very lucrative. So the average um, payout is just under $700, which is about double what it was in 2015. So if you do this across, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of companies, odds are you cast a wide net, you're going to get a lot of fish. And so what that means to them is that it's, it's, it's paying off. And so they're willing to reinvest that and continue to kind of make it more and more sophisticated. It's, it's incredible to me being in, in this field and seeing so many people, you know, pay that money and thinking backups should really cover the loss because their files are hopefully getting backed up. But that, I guess that's not a solution in the long... It's definitely a, a key part of the solution. Unfortunately, what we see is most companies have not really kind of invested in the basics data backup that is done off-site or in some type of um, other location. Because what's happened is some of the ransomware is so sophisticated that it's actually intelligent enough to encrypt um, you know, connected drives or network drives. And so you really have to be thoughtful about the, the backup architecture and the frequency. Um, and you also want to make sure that you've got the right um, controls in place or, or mechanisms in place to see it as soon as it happens so that you can really try and avoid uh, allowing it to spread. Um, the FBI really does not recommend paying out that ransom, although unfortunately because, again, a lot of companies haven't really prepared themselves, they don't really have a choice, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, and, and have you heard of people paying the ransom and still not being able to recover their, their files? Is that? Yes. What we've seen is, um, so again, it's, a, it's amazing how quickly this stuff changes just over the, you know, the last 12 months or so. 
in the beginning or in the earlier you know part of 2016 you you paid you know they were I'll call it more honest the hackers were if you can <laughs> if you could if you could even say that about them um, but you that you paid your ransom and they gave you the uh, the key to unencrypt everything um, and you were sort of on your way um, getting back to you know business as usual now what we're seeing is they'll give you a key and it will only maybe decrypt a portion of your data um, or they may um, they may not even give you that key now so they may just you know take your money and unfortunately not give you what's the world coming to when you can't trust you know the good old you hacker. can't trust the hacker <laughs> I know it's, it's hard to believe uh, earlier, you mentioned the Internet of Things, and uh, you know, of course, being in the field, I've heard of this uh, term. But you know, what is that, and is it is it specific to, to organizations, home users, or is it just a broad term for everybody? Internet of Things is really interesting. So it's really anything that um, is connected. So think of a smart home, whether it's your Nest thermostat, maybe your Ring doorbell, uh, voice over IP camera. Maybe you've got a, a camera at home, a nanny cam, or something like that. Uh, those are all essentially computers. I mean, they all have computing power. And so one of the things that we saw that was very alarming in 2016 is a new, um, a new piece of malware came out that called Mirai. And what that does is it's really, a, it harnesses, a, creates a botnet, essentially, a, a network of all of these uh, devices that most people probably don't even realize um, have computing power. And that platform was used to then launch the largest distributed denial of service that we've seen to date. And it actually attacked uh, a site of Brian Krebs, who's a, a well-known blogger um, and, and, and reporter, specifically on cybersecurity. And so that that is alarming. It, it definitely affects um, corporations and consumers as well. So it's leveraging the power of the consumers' uh, Internet of Thing devices to typically target organizations. So it's kind of this weird, um, you know, sort of paradigm where it's it's affecting really both the, the residential consumer side as well as the professional side. Um, it's it's funny that you say that because you know I love having all my devices on the network, and uh, recently the fridge the fridge has become you know network accessible. I, I was told that washers and dryers may. I, I'm not sure mm -hmm. like what's the real purpose of these. I've even seen a crock pot that's a crock pot that's, that's, that's connect Wi-Fi connected. Yeah. And, you're, and, and I'm guessing is like, is are you trying to monitor this probably when you're at work, or is it sending you alerts when your food is done? It just like microwaves. Like, I guess it it doesn't really make. And maybe it'll make more sense in the future. But there's malware for all these devices. In 2017, we're going to see probably an increase of. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to see. I mean, I think we're just at the the, the sort of very early stages of what we're what we're going to see when it comes to uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, candidly, I, my, my opinion is a lot of the, uh, you know, Wi-Fi capable devices like the, the Crock-Pot as an example or a coffee maker or something like that. I, I think there's as much gimmick as there is anything to it. Sure. Yeah, you know, there's probably a small portion of the community that is getting value out of that and using it. But I think how many people are buying it, not necessarily for that function, right. not realizing that it, it even exists or has that capability and then definitely not realizing that it could be used to then go attack an organization. Sure. Sure, because you, you might add it to the, you know, the home Wi-Fi, and then you kind of forget about it. Sure. Yeah, and these, these, the, the vendors that make these products, security is not really a, a, a strong concern for them. So they're trying to get these things out. You know, being first to market is a, a huge, um, 
you know, advantage. And so they're really just trying to get product out there. And security, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it's not really sort of baked in or designed in. It's an after-the-fact thing. And then what also happens is, you know, let's say they, they rush to get this, you know, this, this Internet-connected device out there. It sells really well. Um, most consumers are not going to be upgrading, you know, maybe there's firmware or software that's associated with it. It's highly unlikely that consumers are going to be savvy enough or even aware enough or even just, you know, motivated enough right. to, to go update those devices to patch any security flaws or vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard enough in the, the corporate environment to be able to, to do that. But if you, you go home. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's no, there's very few consumers that are going to be, um, you know, capable of doing that sure. or, and or willing. Um, now, certainly with the advent of email, phishing has started right right afterwards. You just started getting all these these emails from random um, people along, around the world. My parents have been uh, attacked, and they've clicked on all the links. Um, your what do you see as, as trends as uh, the future of this um, this kind of uh, threat to companies and homes? And uh, do you see anything that's uh, popping out? Yeah, I think just as we're seeing an increasing sophistication in ransomware, um, unfortunately we're also seeing an increasing sophistication in the phishing and, and spear phishing, uh, which is just targeting a, a subset of individuals at an organization. And so we're seeing an increasing sophistication in the sense that they're, you know, the, the Nigerian prince email <laughs> that, that, you know, I guess people still click on and fall victim to because they're still doing it, but yeah. um, th those are, are not as common. Um, but what we're seeing now is much more tailored. You know, social media is a, a blessing and a curse. It's a great source of information for all these hackers to fairly easily gather information on potential victims um, or targets. And then craft an email, you know, a phishing email that, that really resonates with them. So maybe it's something that's personal to them, their private life, their, you know, their business life. Um, and it just, it, it makes it highly likely that somebody's going to be able to you know, unfortunately fall victim to it. Spear phishing is when they kind of tailor it to that one specific, maybe it's a CEO, right? or maybe it's just where they, the, the company as a whole, and they're emailing them about snow removal in the winter, but they're tailoring it to that company, to that person. Yeah, it's just really easy to gather information. I mean, I, I, I encourage the audience to go kind of Google yourself or use your, your favorite search engine to search on yourself and see how easy it is to gather publicly available information um, on yourself and then just think of the ways that it could be sort of used against you um, from an email phishing perspective or spear phishing. That is a good place to start. Uh, just start there. Um, things that people can also do is just make sure on a related note, make sure that you're actually taking the time to understand the privacy and security settings of your social media account so that you're not, you know, publicly sharing things that you don't want to. So right. make sure, you know, if you want to put your address out there, make sure that you know, be thoughtful about that. Um, see it. Mm. Yeah, you just want to be, you know, you shouldn't, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. Social media clearly is encouraged as a way to communicate with a large number of people, friends, family, you know, connections, but it also is a gold mine for the hackers. The last thing that you mentioned uh, in, in the beginning is that uh, the focus on insider threats, um, um, this is probably going to be more focused towards the organization, um, but is that started to increase in what you've seen since you uh, started Compass? Yes, what, what we're seeing, so as, as organizations are starting to, I, I would say, take cybersecurity seriously and really start to invest in it and do some of the, you know, some of the defensive things that they can do or defense in depth on the technology side, 
what we're seeing is that they're now sort of refocusing their efforts on targeting employees. So it could be just negligent insiders, so maybe somebody that's not doing, you know, what the what they should be doing from a company policy um, compliance perspective, or or it could be somebody that's disgruntled. You know, it's relatively easy on social media to find out who isn't real happy at their companies, and so maybe you've got an organization that that that's done a good job of really locking things down, but all it takes is one disgruntled employee to, you know, to potentially share their login credentials with a hacker, and then that that sort of circumvents a lot of the controls that you have in place. Sure. Off what you just said, I, I've recently learned there's a, a, a type of program or malware that um, it's called, I think, Time Stop. And I, I've just heard of this, but it's you know when people kind of go in to a machine and when they use it, they, they reset all the dates of the logs to the exact same date. And to me, that just kind of blew my mind. Because as a security guy, we, we, we go in there we kind of look at what's happening, um, but if they're all the same, how can we differentiate? Sure, I mean, that they're basically cleaning up the, the, the trail of evidence, or yeah. at least a big part of it. You know, log files are really important to try and figure out, you know, who did what, when, and where right. were they. And so if those, you know, if that data's, if the integrity of that data's been compromised, um, that's a problem. Yeah, good luck trying to figure out. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. With cyber, we do a lot of security assessments. Um, what are some common things that you've seen uh, during those assessments? So on a, on a positive note, as we kind of start reflecting back on 2016, and, you know, assessments are a great window into an organization's, um, you know, kind of cybersecurity risk profile, if you will. Uh, on a positive note, we saw a heightened focus, you know, by senior executives, board members on, on cyber risks. How do the various cybersecurity-related risks impact, potentially impact their organizations? Um, and then because they're starting to have those conversations, we're seeing an increasing allocation of resources, whether it's, you know, human resources, budgetary resources, you know, management attention type, um, you know, focus on protecting their data. Right. Um, so I think that's a healthy positive. Uh, unfortunately, w w there's a significant amount of catch-up that's still taking place. So, you know, vulnerabilities, we, you know, one of the... One of the most common vulnerabilities that we identified um, during the, the course of our assessments was a vulnerability that was actually identified in patch back in 1999. Jeez. So wow. if, if we're seeing vulnerabilities um, across a number of our clients that, that go back 17 years, um, that's a problem. That means they're probably not doing what they should be doing, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and, and it's not really meant to be an indictment of, of the IT organization. Um, because it, it, cybersecurity is a very, you know, kind of broad, um, you know, net that, that, that really affects a lot of different parts of an organization. So it's not just the IT organization's responsibility. Sure. Um, which is where a lot of times we see, unfortunately, clients sort of, you know, focus the attention and the responsibility. Well, and I would, I would assume that you're, you're seeing the companies, well, let's just kind of throw money at it. Let's buy the newest and greatest uh, technology out there and... We're finding that that's probably not all, that's not the best case scenario. You don't necessarily need to do that. Yeah, it's really not a good use. I mean, if you don't have a, if you haven't done an assessment and established a baseline and really looked at your architecture, you're probably just throwing money away by buying kind of the latest and greatest. There's lots of hardware and software vendors out there in the security, um, you know, product industry that will tell you that their, you know, their solution's kind of the be all end all. Um, but the, the reality is there's no one thing. I mean, it's really a defense in depth. It's a combination of, of you know, people related, you know, organizational training, policies and technology that 
you have to have in place kind of this meshed approach, this mm. defense in depth approach. Right. Otherwise, you just you're wasting money. Right. <clears throat> and as we go into 2017, do you have any advice you give organizations? I would say definitely do not do what we just talked about and just rush in and, and buy up, you know, some type of you know flavor of the month security product. The newest firewall out yeah, there. Yeah, you know what? The newest, the newest, coolest thing. Yeah. You, you really want to take a time out, um, and, and it's not like this. This does not require a tremendous amount of time um, or really effort. You just you want to take a time out, and you want to really step back and understand what are your you know. There's lots of cyber risks that are out there. Sure. And they're all probably more or less relevant to your organization, but some are a lot more relevant. Um, so if you are a, you know, if you're an organization that does a lot of e-commerce, you know, most of your revenue comes through e-commerce on your site, your website. You're probably much more concerned if your website is taken down through a denial of service or something like that right. than if you just have a static site. And so again, depending on, um, you know, your company's industry, your profile, um, you know, how you're structured. You really want to understand your unique risks, right? Um, and then use those risks to prioritize and focus your resources because you can't do everything. It's not. It's just not practical or, or really feasible. Um, and just use that as prioritization as well as context. So really understand where you're getting the biggest bang for the buck. I, I like that a lot because it, it focuses your energy on you and your organization, not not comparing it to other people. Um, you know, a lot of things would work in a different organization in a different industry but for whatever you do and for whatever however you work mm -hmm. that's it's really going to be customized yeah every organization you know you can look on paper at two organizations that look virtually identical however you want to measure that revenue employees right. locations you know what have you but then when you really look at you know their organization from an IT perspective from a, a policy risk management you know risk tolerance perspective they can be wildly different, right? And so the real key is just tailoring. It's not, there's no one size fits all. Today we're going to go and look at a, what we project 2017 is going to look like uh, in terms of cyber security. So our first bullet, and this is one that we kind of touched last time we were together, is ransomware. And the, the increased sophistication of ransomware. Yeah, I think we saw, you know, if you look back over the last probably 18 to to 24 months, you continue to see the sophistication and the frequency of ransomware just kind of exploding. And, and really in 2017, as you kind of look ahead in our, you know, crystal ball, we don't really see that changing or I don't really see that changing. I think it's going to become increasingly, you know, even more sophisticated, uh, even more widespread. Um, and that's largely to, due to, I think, the evolution of some of the tools that are out there, some of the exploit kits. Um, it's also pretty lucrative. So again, uh, you know, the, 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 the criminals are going to go where the money is. And so organized crime is going to continue to kind of invest in and, and, and really expand upon their uh, ransomware attacks. And, and sadly, you know, most organizations don't really have the basic security controls in place. And so they're going to continue to get exploited by those, you know, those types of attacks. Yeah, um, certainly. I, I think in, in Maryland, it's kind of a sensitive subject, but, you know, that hospital was hit. I don't think it was 2016, it might have been 2015, but you, know, you, you wouldn't think of a hospital being hit with ransomware or even targeted, but um, they were and they didn't pay? No, they didn't, they didn't pay, but it, it wound up costing them about four days of productivity. So they were essentially out of, you know, kind of out of commission 
uh, for about four days. And so I, I think that's a good, you know, again, if you look at why was a hospital targeted, um, they've got very sensitive data, you know, very uh, intimate personal data on thousands, if not tens of thousands of, um, you know, both patients um, as well as probably employees. And so I think in addition to kind of the increase in ransomware, we're also going to see an increased focus on, you know, high value industries, um, you know, specifically probably healthcare and financial service firms. Again, you know, those are target rich environments uh, that, you know, the, the, the bad actors are going to really focus on. And so we'll probably see a renewed emphasis uh, also in 2017 of, the, of those high value targets uh, or high value in industries uh, being targeted. So moving on to our next uh, bullet, uh, DDoS attacks and the Internet of Things. Um, for those of you who weren't with us last uh, episode, uh, Internet of Things is basically how all these new devices are coming out on the market. Um, they all somehow re need and require uh, an Internet connection to perform their function. Uh, kind of uh, an example of this would be maybe a refrigerator that would like to be connected to the Internet. So in this, in this type of uh, DDoS attack and Internet of Things, how, how do those two relate to each other? So DDoS, or Distributed Denial of Service uh, Attacks, we saw a big one at the end of last year that we talked about on the last episode um, that affected. It was the largest um, type of attack like that that, that we've really seen historically. Uh, there's this wide proliferation of the Internet of Things. So as Chris mentioned, you know, think smart refrigerators, uh, Nest thermostats, uh, IP cameras. All of those things are essentially mini computers. And so the power of, you know, millions of those devices spread throughout the world can be harnessed by bad actors to then launch these attacks. And essentially what it is is uh, you're, you're, you're hitting a, a site with so much traffic that it's incapable of, you know, functioning correctly or fu functioning properly. Uh, unfortunately, in 2017, we continue, we, I think we were going to continue to see uh, the internet or IoT devices continue to be used as a large portion of these types of attacks. And that's really fundamentally because most of the IoT vendors are still not designing security into their products. Um, they're trying to be first to market, they're hitting relatively low, low price points, and so things like security engineering, security design principles uh, may be too cost prohibitive. Um, and so, unfortunately, again, we're going to see, you know, we're kind of in just, I think, the infancy of really what, what criminals can do with the power of, of leveraging IoT devices. And I think that's important to note because a lot of users out there would think, well, what can I do to secure these items? Um, but not necessarily their fault if, you know, they set it up. There's a lot of code involved. It's not uh, probably the most secure. And you're, you're right. They want to be the first out there to um, bring this product to the market. And sometimes that, that, that cost is not with not um, developing that, uh, that software with uh, high security. Yeah, they just want to avoid that. I mean, it's not... Again, they're not necessarily maliciously setting out to say we're not going to design a secure product, but right. the reality is it's clearly a, a low on the priority list. Sure. The next bullet, and I think there's finally some good news that we uh, have can talk about, is decline and compromise users' credentials using two-factor authentication. If you don't know a two-factor authentication, have a username and password, but also having something else to it. Maybe it's your fingerprint. Or maybe it's some type of code that your phone will give you, but it's right. So, so again, if you don't go, if you go back not too far in time, 
you know, 2016, 2015 for sure. Uh, most applications um, did not, whether it be social media applications, software as a service applications, really didn't didn't allow the end users or the organization to leverage two-factor authentication, which is really one of the most effective ways to guard against uh, an individual's credentials, you know, username and password from being stolen and then used to access that system. So as Chris mentioned, uh, two-factor tool, a lot of ways would have really mitigated or minimized the impact of some of the breaches that we saw in 2016. The, the good news is, and there are some positives. Uh, the positives, one of the positives for 2017 is you, you, we've seen a, a much larger adoption uh, by both organizations as well as uh, software application providers and so of two-factor. And so what that means is it's now a viable option uh, and most of them are fairly user-friendly. You can get a text message to your phone. You can use one of the, you know, the Google Authenticator app or, or the Microsoft version um, and there's a few others that you can use. Um, and, and these are really powerful tools that really any, every end user can use. And so the, what we're hoping and what we're expecting to see in 2017 is just a greater adoption of that type of technology by organizations. It's really easy. Just Google whatever uh, you use, uh, Google, um, log me in, any of these, and see if they have the two-factor. And a lot of times they're, um, they, will, they will work in Google Authenticator, which is an app that you install on your phone. And it'll just, it generates a code maybe, I think, every 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And you kind of use that code in, in addition to the username and password. So in 2017, a lot more companies have been moving their third-party applications to the cloud. So you're right. So we definitely, in 2016 and, and looking ahead to 2017, we definitely expect to see a continuation of companies, organizations, for very good reasons, moving more and more to the cloud. And, and that could be in the form of software as a service. It could be moving some of their infrastructure into the cloud. Um, and that presents some unique security option or security vulnerabilities um, that a lot of organizations just really aren't that used to. So, you know, traditional IT, a lot of it was kept in-house. It was very, you know, you could literally reach out and touch the infrastructure. Uh, you're moving it to the cloud. You're moving it to a provider that you don't necessarily know as much about um, clearly as you would in-house. And so some of the, 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 the potential security vulnerabilities that we're, we're going to think see um, continuing to increase in 2017 is around you know that do you know who your vendor is do you really understand uh, a lot of times there's multiple vendors in there so have you done the due diligence um, on on who those vendors are who has access to your data right. uh, the other thing that a lot of organizations don't really think about is when i had everything in-house i typically had you know layers of defense or defense in depth and if a user's credentials were compromised, I probably had other security controls in place that would probably prevent access to that. Sure. If you think about it today, if you've got, you know, maybe you're a Salesforce user, somebody steals you, and you don't have two-factor turned on, somebody steals a user's credentials, they, they've essentially just bypassed all of those controls that you probably had in place when it was internal. So it really is a different way of thinking about security when it comes to cloud services, um, and it's not your sort of traditional IT thought process. And to go along with what you just said, I, I think that it's also like you all you know about the problem instantly. Something doesn't work when you know, the user's password has been changed or they got locked out, and you know about that almost immediately. Your IT guy's on it, and it's solved. And, and when it's up in the cloud, like you just mentioned, you, when do you know it doesn't work? Um, when you know when people steal those uh, uh, credentials. Yeah, and you you probably don't have the 
you know, the right, uh, you know, they're, they're most likely not going to give you access from a monitoring perspective, so you're somewhat dependent solely on their, um, you know, notification. You're sure. absolutely right. And so what I see also in 2017 and beyond, you know, a lot of the traditional kind of IT functions are becoming, uh, um, you know, it's still important that they understand the technology for sure, but there's a huge uh, sort of vendor management component that's going to become part of it. So they're going to be managing these third-party providers um, or expected to, but they're not necessarily going to have the right skill set because it's, 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 a, it's a very different skill set, especially when it comes to security, you know, managing third-party vendor security. Sure. And I can see that being, like, for that third party, the, the kind of blanket, that management. So, like, one, almost a one-size-fits-all yeah, until you be. tell me yep. something else. Yeah, and the, and the larger, you know, the the top, you know, three to five probably providers, your Amazons, your, your Microsofts, your Googles, you know, they're not going to allow, I don't care how big your organization is, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to get some exceptions to the rules and special treatment. And so you either have to make a decision to sort of accept that um, the, the, probably the minimum you want to do as, you know, 2017 and beyond is really just make sure you understand what those, you know, what are they doing and then look at your organization and what should, say, what should I be doing to, to have the same level of security that I had in 2016. Yeah, it's a, it's a, con it's a constant check. You always Absolutely. have to look over, ask them qu a lot of questions, get that, get that all in writing and then kind of compare it to what you're doing. Yep, Absolutely. Um, 2017, I feel like also brought in a huge... It could be uh, considered a threat with the uh, the inauguration of our new president, um, President Trump. Um, so far, there's been a lot of different policies that he's implemented, um, very controversial. How can we see the future um, of cybersecurity um, when we have a potential very unpopular president? I, I so I think some of the stuff that he's talked about doing is is could go to strengthening you know the the nation's um, cybersecurity approach and policies and stuff. But it, there's also some things that, that are probably troubling. So you're going to have, you know, because a lot of his decisions and a lot of his policies so far and selections have been, you know, probably controversial to say the least, sure. um, regardless of where you fall politically. Um, those are going to open us up to become even, you know, larger targets, if you will. So from a hacktivist perspective or from, um, you know, maybe nation states that weren't uh, didn't really view themselves as as somebody that opposed our views, but now all of a sudden we've maybe had a change in policy, and so I think we're going to see an uptick in um, probably n you know negative activity towards the United States mm -hmm. from some of these uh, nation states. Hacktivists are going to be, um, I think, have ample opportunities to to pick a cause that they're that they're looking to support and sure. go after that, and you know I think that I think we're going to see a significant uptick, and it, maybe it won't be public because. You know, obviously, a lot of this is highly sensitive, um, but my guess is that in 2017, you're going to see a pretty significant uptick in the U.S. or companies within the U.S., um, you know, nonprofits, you know, private industry, government agencies being targeted by external threat actors. Sure. And, and so far, we, it's kind of hard to go after these people. Um, we, we, we make it, in, we put it out in the press. We kind of say this is who we think did it, but uh, as long after that, it's really kind of, out of our hands, we don't start any type of uh, military type of aggression towards them. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Trump handles uh, this type of threat. It's kind of been a, a little bit of a loose cannon already. Mm -hmm. I, I think sort of the moral of the story is each organization just needs to 
uh, you know, essentially worry about themselves and kind of look at, at their own organization from a risk management perspective, make sure that they are doing what they should be doing, and also not being you know, ignorant or naive enough to think that they're not potentially a target, just potentially because of some of the administration's act, actions. They may be in an industry or cater to a certain clientele that may all of a sudden have them on the, you know, somebody's radar. And so just something to kind of be aware of, I think. I, I can't agree with you more. And I think what I want to take away is you just can't, you can't live in today's world and think I'm not going to be targeted. Right. Uh, pretty much everything you do on the internet is, uh, is subject to somebody trying to hack or figure out what you're doing and trying to steal that information. So at, at this point, you, you have to put a lot more security uh, with in, re in regards to your own data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2017 mm -hmm. is going to be an interesting year for a variety of reasons. Definitely. So it's, it'll be exciting, but probably also uh, somewhat challenging. A little frightening. <laughs> Well that, well, that does it for today's uh, episode. Uh, we wanted to give you the, the quick highlights that we think uh, 2017 is really going to bring to the table and um, hopefully arm you with a lot more information to uh, defend against uh, the things that you want to defend against and uh, keep you uh, in the know. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Bye. That's it for this episode of The Cyber Guide. We thank you for listening and hope you'll join us next time for another security-focused podcast. Remember to subscribe to our channel if you've liked what you heard and pass it on to your colleagues. The Cyber Guide has been brought to you by Compass Cybersecurity. Compass takes a risk management approach to cybersecurity, examining the employees, policies, and technology within an organization to give a complete view of their cybersecurity infrastructure. For more information on Compass and their mission to shift the world's data to be safe and secure, visit us at www.compasscyber.com.